Hello everyone and welcome to this special edition post-NBA Finals after the final whistle. I am your host, Brad Clear, and this is going to be... I had to, I had to get on the mic and had to talk about it right now. Um, the NBA Finals just ending, Golden State Warriors sweeping the Cleveland Cavaliers in four games, and we are now at... The summer of LeBron. And so I'm just basically going to go through potential destinations, logistics, analysis of all those destinations. Um, yeah, and stuff of that like. And with it being um, today being June 9th and tomorrow morning, or this morning I should say, New Japan Dominion is having, New Japan is having their annual Dominion pay-per-view. I'll offer some brief predictions with that show coming up in a couple hours. But this episode, that'll come at the end. So for the non-wrestling fans listening, you can just get off at that point. But this is going to be primarily the LeBron free agency episode. Um, I'm not even going to go into analyzing the finals. If you're listening to the show, you watched the game. You saw the anticlimactic, cathartic, or not cathartic, actually be the complete opposite ending to this series. Um, so yeah, let's just get right into it. So for me, going into destinations and destinations, I had sort of all along seen it as if he left Cleveland, which I fully expect at this point, the Sixers would be the inevitable destination and the most probable landing spot for him. I still have that belief. However, it is not as strong of a belief as it once was in my mind. Um, so first I'll get in sort of the, this this first scenario popped into my head and only really became of note to me today. And it's probably the most terrifying scenario for me, both from a true basketball standpoint and from a Sixers fan standpoint. And that's the potential destination of the Boston Celtics. I think one thing that has not been brought up enough in this whole LeBron potential free agency destination and whatnot is the ability for him to potentially basically choose his destination and get wherever he wants to go via an opt-in and trade similar to what Chris Paul did last year with the Houston Rockets opting in being traded for uh, Patrick Beverly, Montrezl Harrell, Sam Decker, a bunch of non-guaranteed money and a draft pick. He has the ability to do that should Dan Gilbert and the Cleveland Cavaliers be willing, which I'll get into later, he has a potential to basically choose his destination. And going along with that, the destination of the Boston Celtics are one you have to look out for. So, all it would take for the Celtics to get LeBron in there would be trading Gordon Hayward and Marcus Morris to match salary. Obviously, potentially there'd be a draft pick of some type, but that is all it would take to match the 35 mil, uh, 35.6 mil opt-in that LeBron would have. Because Gordon Hayward makes 31 mil and Marcus Morris makes around 8 or 9. So right there, you're in the um, range that you need to be. You're a little above 35, but nonetheless, you are in range. For Cleveland's standpoint, it kind of benefits them. Well, kind of. It benefits them in that rather than losing LeBron for nothing, you're coming in, you get Gordon Hayward, who prior to that catastrophic injury, one of the top 20, top 25 players in the NBA, an all-NBA caliber, all-star caliber player, and someone they had pursued in years past. 
Obviously, it would be kind of a cold move for Danny Ainge to make. But as we saw with him making the correct move with Isaiah Thomas, emotions, coldness, warmness, whatever, does not apply to Danny Ainge. Solely the decision made to best benefit his franchise is what is considered. Look at it basically from this standpoint. Gordon Hayward was a non-factor for this team for the entire season. Marcus Morris was the tweener defensive type who played a lot of minutes for this team and got a lot of minutes in the playoffs. This team, without Kyrie in the playoffs, without Gordon Hayward for the whole season, got to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. We saw the incredible emergence of Jason Tatum as a two-way superstar or future superstar in the NBA. Basically, you're taking this Game 7 reaching team in the Eastern Conference Finals and you are replacing Marcus Morris, you know, a solid role-playing fringe starter, uh, tweener defensive type, and you're replacing him with the best player in the NBA in LeBron James. Holy shit. That team right there, with the continued development of Jason Tatum, with the addition of the Kings pick next year, the Memphis Grizzlies pick, depending on where protections allow it to eventually convey their own pick this year and the coming year after that. Jalen Brown is there. Kyrie still being there. That team dominates the Eastern Conference. That team dominates everyone else besides the Golden State Warriors. I don't really know how realistic or possible it is that LeBron would go to Boston. But if we look at it solely from the standpoint of him making his decision to be able to consistently make the finals and have championship opportunities and to break Bill Russell's 10 consecutive finals record, even though this option has not dawned on most people, that's his best option. You're joining a young, developing, high-caliber team that made Game 7 the Eastern Conference Finals and took you to the limit, and you're just replacing Marcus Morris. Like, yes, Gordon Hayward is a great player, but in a vacuum, we're taking that team that he was a non-factor for, so you really don't even need to consider him in this equation. Um, you would Some people would think, oh, would Kyrie be happy about this? He wanted to get out of LeBron's shadow. He would be a free agent after the season. Well, if you put Kyrie in that deal instead of Gordon Hayward, Kyrie only makes around 20 mil while Hayward makes 31. So the money is off there. And if you get rid of Kyrie, you're locking yourself into Terry Rozier at the point guard spot without a guarantee of keeping Marcus Smart. And as we saw as the playoffs continued, the sort of high-quality play from Terry Rozier kind of waned a little bit. So, and we've seen how great the Kyrie-LeBron combo has been. I think you there's no doubt with how it matches salary and whatnot, you would have to trade Hayward, which would suck. But again, Danny Ainge does not care about the human aspect of it. It's about benefiting the team at all costs. So that scenario to me is terrifying. And if LeBron cares about nothing more than just winning and getting that championship opportunity, that's his best option, and that's a terrifying thought. Again, and with all of these potential trade or opt-in and trade options, which I'll get to into a couple more, it all hinges on the Cleveland Cavaliers as an organization saying, all right, are we really going to allow LeBron, who is leaving us, are we going to help him get to where he wants to go? 
And I think my answer to that would be it's dependent on where the, which team it is and what they could get for him. For example, if it's Boston, you're getting back Gordon Hayward and Marcus Morris and probably Boston's first-round pick with it. You're going to take that deal. If it's San Antonio and you're getting back LaMarcus Aldridge, you're going to take that deal. All along, a lot of people had said the Houston Rockets. And that is where I think the buck may stop in that if it costs taking on Ryan Anderson's contract, there's nothing Houston has that can placate or compensate for that. So the idea of him going to Houston, I think, then takes a bit of a hit. But if Houston can give you, say, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, and a draft pick, then you do it. It really just depends on what they're getting back. I don't think that they will be stubborn to the point with how much LeBron has given them, with how much he means to them, with how he basically delivered the championship like he promised he would. I think that they would be willing to help him get to where he wants to go, especially if they could get, you know, even if it's a late first-round pick, it's still a first-round pick to help you when it's going to be a mess moving forward without LeBron. Or with Boston, that potential event, you're getting Gordon Hayward. So I think they'd be willing to placate LeBron's desires with an opt-in and trade. So continuing with the opt-in and trade idea, let's go to San Antonio. Um, This is probably the least likely of any destination that I'm going to list here, but assuming things get smoothed over with Kawhi Leonard, and I do not think that Kawhi Leonard is getting traded. I know people like to think it's a foregone conclusion based on everything that happened with that weird saga this season. I don't think they're trading him. Greg Popovich is not going to bend for Kawhi Leonard. He did not bend for LaMarcus Aldridge the year before albeit Kawhi Leonard, different situation, much better player than LaMarcus Aldridge. But they're not going to trade Kawhi Leonard. And even if Kawhi doesn't give a full commitment that he's willing to stay and consider re-signing with them, or if things don't get fully smoothed over, they're not bending for him. Kawhi Leonard will be a San Antonio Spur next year. But assuming things are smoothed over, I see no reason that the San Antonio Spurs cannot be a potential opt-in and trade destination for LeBron James. Um... You could get LeBron on that 35.6 mil um, salary. You could do LaMarcus Aldridge and Patty Mills, and that gets you LeBron James because Aldridge is about 24, and Mills, I believe, is about, well, they gave him, a big, I think it's 9 mil a year, give or take, so that puts you into the 31, 32 mil, no, that puts you at 33, math. Puts you in the 33 mil with LeBron's 35.6 mil, you're within the percentage range. That gets you the deal done. So if LeBron wants to get to the Spurs and they feel that they've smoothed things over to the Kawhi, I think that's easily realistic. However, as I just said, I think that's your least likely opt-in and trade destination or scenario. Moving on from there, let's get into um, let's get into the Houston Rockets. That's our last opt-in and trade situation, and then we'll get into the two, you know cap space able to take him in situations with the Lakers and the Sixers. So let's go to the Rockets right now. Um, There is no situation, scenario, whatever, where I will doubt Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey is the best general manager in the entire NBA. He's creative, he's smart, he's calculated, he's unbelievably talented at being a creative, proactive general manager and executive. 
they would have won the NBA Finals or would have won the NBA Championship and beaten the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Finals if Chris Paul had not gotten hurt. Scream it from the rooftop, say it all the time. If Chris Paul did not get hurt, the Houston Rockets would have swept the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. I have no doubt about that in my mind. So, with that being said, the Houston Rockets really have a decision to make with LeBron in that, and it's kind of similar to what the Lakers have with uh, their restricted free agent Julius Randle. There's the option they have of going under the cap, but that basically forces you to gut your entire team. You have to let Clint Capella probably go, and you're stuck with LeBron, Paul George, James Harden, and a bunch of sort of a room exception um, and minimum guys. That's not going to happen. There's no way, basically, on how significant you'd have to gut your team, the ability or the need to foist contracts on the other teams without the sufficient young, desirable assets or graphic assets to make it worth it for those teams. Going under the cap to get LeBron is not an option for the Houston Rockets. And all I'm sa- everything I'm saying about LeBron here can also apply to the Rockets in their potential pursuit of Paul George, which Woj has reported is an option, and he'd fit unbelievably well with that team. Replace Eric Gordon with Paul George? That makes them a better team. And they won 65 games last year. He's perfect for them, but that's besides the point. We're talking about LeBron here. So, the Cavs could get LeBron, or the the Rockets could get LeBron, excuse me, from the Cavs in an event, in a potential opt-in and trade scenario that would allow them to be able to re-sign Clint Capella at any price, you know, whether he gets offer sheeted, whether they end up re-signing him for 20 mil a year, which is market value and what he should get in his next contract. PJ Tucker, you have you signed last year for a four-year deal for 32 mil. So that's eight mil right there. Eric Gordon is at 16 and a half. That puts you at 24 and a half. Then it gets tricky. Because logically you would say, all right, I'll throw in Ryan Anderson. That puts me at 44. LeBron's at 35.6. You're in range. You can do that. But if you're Cleveland, it gets to the point I was just mentioning with Cleveland. It gets to a point where, yes, you want to help LeBron get to the uh, destination he wants and get something back to benefit your team. But if it comes at the expense of taking on Ryan Anderson's contract for the next two years, even though you're kind of in a mess situation as is, it's, it's not beneficial for you. So putting in Ryan Anderson at that point, I can't see happening. I just cannot see any way in which the Houston Rockets will ever be able to get out from Ryan Anderson's contract unless there's some weird situation two years from now as an expiring deal that there's some value to be had. But that's not what we're talking about now. So they're at 24 and a half right there. They're going to have to get a little tricky or a little resourceful. Last year, they were able to add a lot of non-guaranteed money. You look at it this year, maybe they could throw in you look at the end of the bench guys that they have. You know, Zhu Chi is there and he is signed. Um, th- there's not much outside of Zhu Chi at the end of that bench that is signed that you could throw into that deal. And from Cleveland's standpoint, if you have to throw in so many bodies to get to the number where your salaries are matched, Cleveland can't intake all of those guys and they're not in, on non-guaranteed money like all the guys the Clippers took in last year. So for all the talk of um, how Houston is a realistic destination for LeBron, I think you really need to sit there and consider how beneficial is it for Cleveland, even if they get a first-round pick from Houston when in, since they traded this year's 
it would have to be um, in 2020. Say that's in the 20s. You're getting a pick then, but it comes at the expense of taking on Ryan Anderson's contract, even though P.J. Tucker is a very solid, versatile, great role player who has value in trades to any contending team. Same goes for Eric Gordon, albeit at a $16.5 million per year price tag. The Ryan Anderson money just does not make it beneficial. And that's where I see this Rocket scenario really getting rocky. Um, it just depends on how much Cleveland puts value on what they could potentially get out of trading Gordon or Tucker and what they could get with that first-round pick in 2020. Basically, that's that's their judgment decision. And from my standpoint, I just don't see what those gains, what those gains potentially be compensating for taking on 20 mil of Ryan Anderson for the next two years. 20 mils per, 20 mil per next two years for Ryan Anderson. So, out of all those opt-in and trade scenarios, man, I'm having this realization as I'm saying it, the Boston Celtics, that is your opt-in and trade scenario where LeBron can dictate where he wants to go, Cleveland can make it happen and have it benefit them, it all checks out. It's easy to match salary. Every single thing checks out. That is a scary thought. I really hope that does not happen from a Citrus standpoint, from a Eastern Conference standpoint. But look out for that. Keep that in the back of your head. In the prelude to free agency and that July 1st to 9th craziness where if the 2014 LeBron free agency um, Circumstances showed on Twitter where people were tracking Dan Gilbert's planes, people were taking pictures of public, whatever. Twitter is going to go nuts. Reddit will go nuts. People will find things like crazy. The prelude to free agency at the end of June and from July 1st to 9th because LeBron likes to take his time in making a decision like this, and I'm sure he will at the earliest, I think July 9th, maybe July 8th or 9th, will be when that decision comes down. He's going to take his seven or eight days. He's going to take his sweet time. The league will basically be on hold for LeBron in that time. But keep that Boston Celtics opt-in and trade possibility in the back of your head when you're hearing all this craziness on Twitter. Everyone's finding all this crazy junk and little tidbits of information out. All right, so now let's get in to the two realistic outside Cleveland destinations where all it takes is LeBron to seamlessly slide in at a max salary slot. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's first go to the Lakers. Um, so for me, I look at the situation. They have to get Paul George with him in order for LeBron to even consider coming there. There's no other scenario in which I could see him coming there. And overall, as a whole, him going to Los Angeles Lakers, even if they add Paul George with him, that's not entirely a basketball decision. That's a build a brand media legacy, you know, try to become a media mogul, set yourself up for it after your career decision. You'll still be a very good, like fun, competitive team. That's probably you know a team with LeBron, Paul George, Alonzo, Ingram, and Kuzma, with the room level exception, the 29th pick this year they got with Cleveland or got from Cleveland. And then picks coming next year, or picks coming in the future, in next year's, because their pick will be conveyed to the Sixers this year, so they will have their pick next year. Although it's a thin team, you know, assuming Brandon Ingram becomes and consistently shows 
what he showed this year as being basically a Kevin Durant light scoring type who can just get any shot he wants and is a huge mismatch with how long and tall he is. That's probably the third or fourth best team in the West. That team is never, ever beating Golden State four times out of seven. So you're basically giving up on the idea of breaking that uh, Bill Russell 10 consecutive finals record. That going to the finals, contending for a championship every single year, you're giving that up to be a good, solid team, but not a championship team, but you get the added part of it being LA, build media um, and outside basketball bases so that you can continue outside of your career to be a huge business and media mogul post-NBA career. I understand that, but to me, that would just be a waste. And based off of what he said in this press conference today, about, you know, he wants to still win. He has so much to give to the league. I'm not sure how realistic that is. But let's just say that he wanted to go to the Lakers. Let's look at their sort of how good they could be, you know, bringing in Paul George and all that stuff. So I think what really dictates is going to really be interesting is how they respond to the inevitable July 1 Julius Randle offer sheet. So right now they they have a path to being able to get 65 million cap space. They, they have it. Or 68, excuse me. That is there. Um, all of these capologists, like Larry Kuhn, who is a salary cap expert and whatnot, who go on TV, internet, media, whatever, to discuss this, uh, this scenario for the Lakers, they all bring up the potential idea of trading Lawal Dang. You got to get that out of your head. Lawal Dang is never getting traded Because he will come at the cost of Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, or Kyle Kuzma, which the Lakers will not trade. And they shouldn't. So at that point, Lawal Deng, the the only option they have with him, and the option that I think they will take up, is I think they're going to stretch him. That puts him at 7.4 mil cap hit for each of the next five seasons. Saves you about 10 mil in space. You renounce all of your cap holds to all your other guys, um, like Tyler Ennis, Vika Zubak, Brooke Lopez, Andre Ingram, you name them, all those basically filler guys on the rest of their team. They have a path to getting to 68 mil. They have a path to being able to get Paul George and LeBron in there, or LeBron and DeMarcus Cousins, or DeMarcus Cousins and Paul George, whatever. The point is they have two max slots. But what really gets interesting is with Julius Randle. If they were able to trade Lawal Dang and get that 17 mil off, they could afford to have two max guys come in and keep Julius Randle at a 16 million per year, um, at least, um, figure. Unfortunately, Mitch Kupchak decided paying 17 mil a year for Lawal Dang when you're a rebuilding team was a good idea. They're not going to get saved from that contract like they were with Mozgov or like they were with Jordan Clarkson. Um, so... Let's just assume that they stretch the wall dang. They're at the point where they're going to be able to afford two max guys or it's one max guy in Julius Randle. I'm telling you, the Dallas Mavericks are going to hit Julius Randle with an offer sheet that first day of free agency. And if it's not them, maybe it's the Phoenix Suns. But someone is hitting them with an offer sheet for Julius Randle on that first day of free agency. And what the Lakers are going to have to do is they're going to have to decide, you know, do they want to keep Julius Randle, who 
for all the crap that people have said about him for all these years, he is a very, very good, solid young player and will continue to be a very solid player for years. Okay, he's a little small and not a true center or power forward, and he's not really this super like athletic-y type who can be very versatile within your lineup placement and whatnot, but he is able to get his own shots and create. he gets buckets, gets he plays hard and gets boards, he plays good defense, He's a, just a hard-nosed, solid, all-around player. And he he puts up some games some nights. He'll put up a 25-15 and 15 game like it's nothing here and there. The guy's a beast, an absolute stud. And I think the Julius Randle Hill gained a lot more, gained a higher population this year. I was always a inhabitant of it, but it got a higher number of, po- of inhabitants this year. So that offer sheet's coming on July 1, whether it's Dallas. Whether it's Phoenix. And that's probably going to be in the neighborhood of about 16, 17, 18 mil a year. So, if you're the Lakers, you have to make the decision. Obviously, you have, I think, it's like three days now at this point to decide to match the offer sheet. So, you have to decide by July 4, which at that point, LeBron probably will not have signed. Well, I'd be stunned if he will have signed by then. So, you're going to have to decide right then. Do we keep Julius Randle and therefore limit ourselves to one max guy? Or do we let him walk with the risk of losing him without getting two max guys, which letting him walk allows you to get rid of his cap hold, not end up paying him the per year figure, and you have the space for two max guys. They're not going to choose with how they've made moves to position themselves to acquire two max max free agents. As good as Julius Randle is, and as good as he is going to continue to be, they are not going to give up the potential ability to get two max free agents, whether it be this year for LeBron and Paul George or DeMarcus Cousins, or to get one of them this year, and then someone like a Clay Thompson or Kawhi Leonard or whoever next year. You know, whether those guys even become free agents or not, you still have that option. Um I think Paul George is coming to the Lakers no matter what. I don't buy I know he has a great relationship with Russell Westbrook and loved his time in OKC, but we had heard for so long when he was with Indiana that in his head, it was always Lakers, 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 Lakers once he became a free agent. He would fit amazingly with the Philadelphia 76ers, but he's from Southern California. This has been on his agenda since he was on the Pacers last year in that last year, second to last year of his contract. He's going to be a Los Angeles Laker. You're not giving up the ability to pair him with LeBron. You're not doing that at the expense of Julius Randle. So let's assume that they got Paul George coming in if you're LeBron, with Paul George on that team, assuming they sign LeBron and Paul George, you'd have, obviously, LeBron, Paul George, Kuzma, Lonzo, and Ingram. Outside of that, you'd have the 29th pick from Cleveland, you'd have the room exception to sign someone, and then it's just a bunch of minimum salary players. Again, as I previously mentioned, a 3 or 4 seed in the West, but that's not winning you any championships, that's not winning you any Western Conference championships, that's not getting you any titles. That is taking off-court desires into your decision-making. And again, that's dependent on what LeBron decides and values in this decision. But for me, I, I would be a little bit disappointed in that decision. But nonetheless, that is, a dis- that is a destination that does not require an opt-in and trade. LeBron could just go there as he pleases if he wants. Um... I'll put out my lottery or my LeBron odds after I get to my last team here with the Sixers. Um, but just for the Lakers, I think the Lakers, I'd put them at 
of their odds of getting LeBron James. Last but not least, let's get into it here with, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, um, after the final whistle, hosted by me, Brad Clear, that I think the Sixers are going to be where he ends up. I've thought that for a very long time. I've thought that I've thought that since I would say probably um, when was that game within like since November, that game where Embiid dropped forty six on the Lakers like it was nothing. That was November. So I've thought LeBron was coming since that game since November. It's a ready made situation. You have one of the twelve best players in the league in Joel Embiid. You have a guy who is going to be rookie of the year. And if he's not, it's a, it's a catastrophe. A guy who got the third most All-NBA votes outside of those who actually made the team and should have been an All-Star in Ben Simmons. It was only going to get better and is basically a younger, without shooting ability, player like LeBron James. You know, you have Dario Saric. You have one of the best defenders in the NBA in Robert Covington. Potentially, well, you have the 10th pick in the draft this year from the Los Angeles Lakers to allow you to get someone like Mikael Bridges or Lonnie Walker or Shy Gilgis-Alexander, a guy who can slide in who's young on a rookie contract and can start. The Sixers have a sustainable path to winning for a long time. However, they need that one guy, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Paul George, whoever it may be, Klay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, it does not matter. They need that one guy to take them to the level of being able to beat the Boston Celtics. Right now, with the team they have, as good as they are, and as well as they are set up to be a dominant, not a dominant team, to be a successful team moving forward, they're not at the level that the Boston Celtics are at. And the Celtics have the ability to add to what they have with that Kings pick next year. Um, and with all the other assets they have, the Memphis pick, the Clippers pick, and whatnot. So, I think what's interesting about the Sixers as a destination for LeBron is, obviously, as I said, as we've all seen, and as I've talked about in my last episode, the Brian Colangelo situation with Brian Colangelo, thankfully, being out as GM, you give LeBron this really unique leverage point of saying, you know, we have all these guys in here, LeBron. You know the players we have. You know Brett Brown. We don't have a GM. Your input as to who you would trust as our executive of all these people we've interviewed that's a really unique point of leverage to entice LeBron over other destinations. He has a great relationship with David Griffin, someone I've proposed for to be that new GM for the Sixers. To have LeBron LeBron give his say and input onto who he would like to have as GM of the organization he's going to end up spending, spending the last stretch of his career with, no other team can offer that. That's really unique, and I think that's something that the Sixers can, should, and will take full advantage of in courting LeBron. Um, what really is the ultimate driving point, as I just mentioned, those young guys in Embiid and Simmons, all NBA caliber, young stars, we've seen how much LeBron had to put on himself to play at such a high level, a perfect flawless game to allow Cleveland to make it as far as they did. To have young stars who are only going to get better and better over the coming years as LeBron gets older, that play alleviates the pressure on LeBron, allows him to be able to sort of not expend as much, exert as much energy, kind of pick his spots more so here and there, takes pressure off LeBron as he ages and gets older. Because even though LeBron just had the best year of his career at age 33, you'd have to think he is human and that health and wear and tear at some point will catch up to him. 
If you have two other guys who are able to take off the load off of him where he does not have to exert as much effort, energy, and whatnot game to game, doesn't have to play 82 games every single year, and your team can still succeed, that allows LeBron to be the LeBron that he is right now for a longer period of time. And again, it's fully, fully doable and realistic for the Sixers. They just got to move that Jared Bayless contract. I am fully convinced that he will be packaged with that 26th pick, the Sixers' first round pick that they own. That will be sent to the Atlanta Hawks. So the Hawks have uh, about 26 million cap space. That team is not going to spend it at all. They should go with the process Sixers route of just taking on the contract and essentially buying themselves a first round pick. Fun fact the Sixers actually got the 26th pick um, in the 2016 draft where they picked Furkan Korkmaz as a result of taking on JaVale McGee's contract. Um, in the last year of his deal with the Denver Nuggets, or maybe in the second to last deal, second to last year of his deal. But nonetheless, they took on JaVale McGee's 11 million year contract to get themselves a first round pick. I'd be stunned if Atlanta does not do that for Jared Bayless. But that's getting off topic. If we really want to get crazy here, there is a scenario and path for the Sixers to be able to add both LeBron and Paul George. As I just mentioned, I think Paul George does end up on the Lakers. But let's, let's just talk about this path here because this is a really interesting situation and scenario. So basically, what it would end up doing, um, and this was outlined on Twitter by uh, Matt Carey, at Real Matt Carey. Um, shoot him a follow if you want to look at this more in depth. But here's where it is. So LeBron would have to opt in to his player option for 35.6 mil, an opt-in and trade. Um, you have a, you picked up Justin Anderson's two and a half mil option for next year. Timotei Lawawu and Furkan Korkmaz are signed for next year, and you basically have to dump that off onto basically Atlanta, whoever team at cap space. You have to dump those guys off onto someone else. And for a team like Atlanta, take a flyer on guys like Lawawu or Korkmaz with an expiring in Anderson. I think that's a worth it. Uh, it's a worthy shot or chance to take. So you'd have to dump them off. Um, you would have to sign Le- Paul George outright. So Paul George is a free agent. You sign him to that max contract and slide him into your max cap slot. Um, so at that point, you've traded Bayless, Anderson, Luau, and Korkmaz. You didn't pick up Rashawn Holmes' option, um, and you've renounced the cap hold on J.J. Redick. Then you can take Covington. You can take Fultz. And if you decide to, well, actually, I take that back. You would have to pick up Rashawn Holmes's $1.5 million option. You would trade Covington, Fultz, and Rashawn Holmes to Cleveland, and you'd get LeBron, which would leave you with a team of Embiid, LeBron, Paul George, whoever you pick at 10, Ben Simmons, TJ McConnell, Dario Saric, the room-level exception, Jonah Bolden, and minimum salary guys. Going back to the Cleveland being willing to assist and opt-in and trade, you're getting yourself the guy who was the first overall pick last year, a 3 and D player who's one of the best defenders in the NBA. And Rashawn Holmes is a guy who has a ton of balance and I think has easily could be a very dependable backup NBA center for years to come. My God, you take that deal. So, again, that takes a lot of really pinpoint accurate things. Probably not going to happen, but it's just to state that there is a logistical path to that occurring. Nonetheless, I think the Sixers are that LeBron James destination. Um, I've thought it for a long time. My conviction on it is not as strong as it once was. 
But that's where I think he ends up. And just to finish off the LeBron talk, um, and I guess end the portion of the pod where basketball fans only will like to listen, my sort of odds on destinations for LeBron, where I think he ends up. So, the Sixers, obviously having the highest odds here at 40%. Then after that, I would put the Lakers are at 20%. The Rockets are also at 20%. Oh, excuse me, right here. So yeah, the Sixers are at 40%. The Rockets are at 20%. The Lakers are at 20%. I would put Boston at 10%, and then I would have Cleveland at 10%. I guess in that Boston category, I would include teams like San Antonio or other opt-in-and-trade situations. Um, But that is what I would say. I still think Cleveland is a non-zero chance, so I'll give them the 10%, just as likely as a Boston or opt-in-and-trade scenario. So that puts you at 20%. Um, add 20% for the Lakers are at 40, 20% for the Rockets are at 60, and then 40% is the Sixers. I think he ends up with the Sixers. I think the Lakers, again, you just hear too much noise about it to not consider it, even though you really realize it's not a true basketball decision, which goes against what LeBron has publicly stated in the press conference and all we know about him. 20% for the Rockets, and even though I kind of just dampered that idea, I'm giving them a higher percentage chance than the Celtics because I am not doubting Daryl Morey whatsoever. And then only 10% for the Celtics, because I really just have a hard time seeing LeBron wanting to willingly go and play there, especially with Kyrie being there. It just seems a little eh and a little wishy-washy. I I just don't know if I see that being a desirable place for LeBron to go outside of the— Okay, you have tremendous basketball success, but the other factors there may be a bit dissuading. But that's the option I really think you keep in the back of your head is the dark horse sneaky option. Um, and then 10% again to Cleveland because it's a non-zero chance. Can't completely rule them out. So that'll end the basketball portion of this pod for after the final whistle by me, Brad Clear. Um, so now I'm going to get into, just real briefly here, New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion show, which starts, um, I'm actually recording this at about 2 o'clock in the morning here on Saturday morning. Um, no sleep for LeBron. Um, this show starts at around 3 a.m. on New Japan World. Um, quickly, just going to get into my predictions here. Obviously, we have the big main event of Okada versus Kazuchika Okada versus Kenny Omega um, for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship in a no time limit, two out of three falls match. This is going to be awesome. Anyone who has followed any of their three previous matches knows this is going to be fantastic. Um, I have Okada taking the victory here, retaining his title over Kenny Omega. Um, I know the big question is who's going to get the first fall. I've kind of gone back and forth on it. I think Kenny's going to get the first fall. I think he hits um, the one-winged angel in the first fall to pin Okada to really drive home the whoa, you know, the wow factor of, oh my goodness, Kenny just pinned him with the one-winged angel. Okada's never... Um, you know, Akata gets pinned so rarely cleanly during this title reign, and and Kenny has never pinned him with the one-winged angel. He hit it. Um, no, he did pin him cleanly in the G1 match, but then, but you know, that's basically been the whole selling point of this is Kenny being able to hit the one-winged angel on Okada, 
and him hitting in that first hole really establishes the possibility for Kenny to get the victory over Okada. Anyway, I think Kenny takes the first fall, but why I think Okada takes the victory over Kenny is Okada has been champion at this point for so long that two years at this point, he's not losing it at Dominion. He's not losing this title at any show besides Wrestle Kingdom whenever this reign ends. And I'll get into that in one second. It's not ending here. And as much as I would love Kenny Omega to win that title, I just cannot see Okada losing that title to a non-Japanese wrestler as well. Um, I think what this match serves to do is I think they kind of got to a point where you ran out of guys. You you know not basically you did. You ran out of fresh challengers for Okada. So you looked at the potential bring it back options that Okada has already faced. There's no one, no one who excites people to the point or gets ex- people excited to a great point like Kenny Omega does. So that's your sort. That was your best option of bringing back an old match and feud. So they did that here. I think this is just going to be a big time uh, feather in Okada's cap because you know he will have beaten the best bout machine, the guy with the best stamina in the world, in a time li- in a time limitless match. Beat him two out of three times. That's the ultimate feather in the cap for Okada. Um, and just looking at it in a macro sense, they put Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi together as the Golden Lovers. You know, fully reuni- fully reunited them. But ever since um, Strong Style evolved, they really haven't done a lot together. And for their run to have just been that quick little build-up in the match against the Young Bucks at Strong Style evolved, that whole big reunion would have really been for nothing. And I think that the um, the pairing of Ibushi and Omega as the Golden Lovers, I think that ultimately, I don't know how they get there, but I think the end game there is an actual story to have the match between the two, Omega versus Ibushi, at Wrestle Kingdom in 2019 in January. I am totally convinced that the end that is the end game here. Um, Omega had his run with the IWGP United States Championship. I don't think they're going to give him the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at this point. At this point, I just don't see it happening. And, it, it, you know, I would love to see it happen, but I just don't. So, looking at that landscape, he needs something fresh to do. He has that tag team run with Ibushi set up perfectly. Um, Evil and Sonata right now are the Heavyweight Tag Champs. They're facing the Young Bucks at this show. The Young Bucks, Kenny and Ibushi... You know, everything that's been going on with them with the Bullet Club is fine. Well, it's really not storyline with BTE and whatnot. I think Kenny and Ibushi are taking those heavyweight tag belts off of Evil and Sonata. You know, I don't think the Young Bucks are winning them at this Dominion show. I think when Evil and Sonata do lose those titles, I think it is going to be to Ibushi and Omega. And I would not be surprised at all to see that happen at the Cow Palace show in San Francisco uh, in July. But I think Ibushi and Omega are really going to get that big-time tag title run as the Golden Lovers, um, potentially leading, you know, maybe there's some sort of alliance between them and the Young Bucks. You know, we have the tease of what's in the box on being the Elite, and it's obviously some sort of shirt. I kind of feel like it's a Golden Lovers and Elite, or and the Young Bucks, like, Golden Elite-type shirt. Um, but that remains to be seen. But there is storyline potential with the Young Bucks and with the Golden Lovers involving the heavyweight tag t- IWGP heavyweight tag titles 
that is not going to be descent that is not going to disintegrate based off of Okada losing to Kenny or the Young Bucks beating Evil and Sonata at this show. Um, as I said, their pairing and alliance, the Golden Lovers, that's going to lead to a Wrestle Kingdom match between Ibushi and Omega. I'm sure they're going to have a rematch with the Young Bucks at some point, with the Young Bucks trying to prove themselves as these heavyweight tags as a heavyweight tag team, and they lose to Evil and Sonata. And then the next time they go for him, they're facing Kenny and Ibushi. Story writes itself. Ibushi and Omega are going to have that tag title run. Kenny is not winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship um, at this point, especially with just being called out by Okada and it not being Wrestle Kingdom. I just cannot see it. I think Okada retains. It'll be a classic match that'll be remembered forever. And then going to Okada here with his title reign, I think now, obviously predicting him retaining, I think really as we're looking at the future of this title reign, there's only two options that they have to go with it, or that Jado has to go with it as a booker. He has two options. The first option, and the option that he probably should have done, not probably, he should have done, this past January at Wrestle Kingdom, he should have had Tetsuya Naito become the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. By far the most popular guy in the whole company, um white hot he was at this past Wrestle Kingdom. You could even make the argument that he should have been in that main event in 2017 when Kenny Omega was because he was white hot then as well. Um, but as we saw with the Tanahashi and Okada matches at Wrestle Kingdom, they like to give that year-long build and probably wait a little bit longer than they should to pull the trigger on the new guy as champion. So your first option is Naito winning the title at Wrestle Kingdom in 2019. That's your first option to end Okada's title reign. Your other option with his reign is you just make, you just Bruno San Martino Okada here and just give him a San Martino-esque reign. You know, Gato makes Okada, or Gato, excuse me, Okada, Gato makes Okada his Bruno San Martino. He has him retained through this Wrestle Kingdom and he just goes on and on and on, breaking every single title record that there is to break. And he just has this record-stating multiple-year long reign. Um... I don't know which way he's going to take it. I would like to think that Naito is going to win it at this coming Wrestle Kingdom. I, I, There's no doubt in my mind he's winning the G1, and that's going to be the main event at Wrestle Kingdom this coming uh, this coming January. But that's his two options. He could have Naito win, or he could just have Okada win that match again and just have Okada have the most legendary of title reigns in the history of modern pro wrestling. Um him having a modern-day Bruno San Martino-esque run of, like, by by January of Wrestle January 2019 for the next Wrestle Kingdom, he will have been champion for about you know, probably like 33 months at that point, 30, 32 months maybe give or take. So, say he wins at that Wrestle Kingdom, he takes in the Wrestle Kingdom in 2020. That puts him as champion for almost four years, and in the modern era. When San Martino was champion for seven years, obviously, in the 1970s era of wrestling, in the modern era, that would be an incredible feat. That's the options they have to weigh. If he loses it any time in the near future, as much as I love Kenny Omega, it has to be to Naito and it has to be in the Wrestle Kingdom stage. And if he doesn't lose it to Naito in the Wrestle Kingdom stage, they may as well Bruno San Martino him, have him hold it for a while until one of the young lions like Kawato... Um, is able to take the reign as the sort of, not new ace, because Okada is so young, he's never not even close to reaching the 
place where he's no longer the ace, but it's sort of like, you know, the 1B to Okada's 1A. Um, going to the other big match on this Dominion show, Chris Jericho versus the aforementioned Tetsuya Naito for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. I think Jericho's taking this one. Jericho lost to Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. If he's sticking around New Japan, which I think he is at this point, not full-time obviously as we know, but like, you know, he's going to pop up here to there. He's got to get the win here. If he loses twice, you know, there's nothing left for him to really do. And I think it's easy here to see. You can just make Jericho and Naito your main event for the Cow Palace show in July where you're trying to sell 10,000 seats where ticket sales are not doing well, where your card has not been announced at all. You have Jericho win over Naito, gets a big win, which he didn't get over Kenny, IWGP Intercontinental Champion, and the rematch is in the United States at the Cow Palace. You give the American New Japan fans, who outside of the Young Bucks versus Omega and Ibushi, they really saw not the greatest of cards, you know, at this year's Strong Style Evolved. You give them, you know, potentially Omega and Ibushi uh, defeating Evil and Sonata for the tag titles. You give them Chris Jericho versus Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental, IWGP Intercontinental title. You get to see the New Japan Jericho in the United States taking on Naito in a dream match rematch. I think that would be super cool, and that's a very strong main event to help them sell tickets. I think that's the route they take. I think you can easily get two matches out of this feud. Um, I think Jericho takes that Dominion to sort of legitimize himself in New Japan, get a title reign and get a W under his belt with Naito taking that title back um, at the Cow Palace. And going along... Um, Going along with the theme of the low singer Bonobles de Hapon, um, let's let's just get yeah you know, let's throw in some more predictions here. Will Osprey versus Hiromu Takahashi for the uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title. Um, Osprey's had a real solid reign here. Takahashi just winning the Best of Super Juniors in a great match against Bone Soldier Taiji Ishimori. Um, I think Hiromu's taking the title here. Takahashi's my prediction to win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title. Um, and then let's keep it going. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think Evil and Sonata retain over the Young Bucks and the Young Bucks' is first IWGP heavyweight tag title um, challenge. And then I think that one other match I look forward to on this show, um, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Rey Mysterio taking on Cody, Hangman Page, and Marty Skrull. Um, I guess Rey's not totally 100% health-wise, because if he was, I'm sure it would have been him and Skrull one-on-one based off of how at Strong Style evolved. Skrull knocked him down, ripped his mask off and whatnot. I think Mysterio, Tanahashi, and Liger will take the win here. That's going to be a real fun match to see. Those three guys teaming together in 2018, who could have thought that that was going to happen? Um, so yeah, that's all for my predictions for the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion pay-per-view uh, on New Japan World and for a little over an hour from now. Um, so yeah. And those were my thoughts previously on the LeBron free agency um, summer that is coming upon us. Very exciting stuff ahead in the world of pro wrestling and in the NBA. Um, So yeah, that is all for this episode of After the Final Whistle. I am your host, Brad Clear. Again, throughout the summer, sporadic recordings and uploading of episodes will occur. Um, There won't be any set rhyme or reason to it like there is during the normal school year where it's a once a week radio show. So yeah, keep an eye out here on podcast.com for all episodes of After the Final Whistle, hosted by me, Brad Clear. Um, I love doing these shows, love getting all the feedback I get from all you listeners, so shout out to you, the listener, shout out to LeBron, 
Shout out to the Sixers. No shout out to the Golden State Warriors. Shout out to New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion. I'm Brad Clear, your host of After the Final Whistle. And as always, goodbye and good night.